Welcome once again to Oakwood Connect. I'm so excited to be back with my brother John as we continue going through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And today we will be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Brother John, I have to say this. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you are handling the equipment like a pro. Ah, uh, yes. As long as it's on my left side, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your right side is still looking a little Robocop-ish. Yes. Um, but you took you took the one. Well, I'm not going to say that on the. Yeah, don't let him know that I uh, <laughs> don't have my sling on right now. But I am holding my hand to my stomach like I was told to do. So. Yeah. Oh, good. good, good. You're being compliant. <laughs> That's right. You're being compliant. It's here with me. That's what's important. Uh, it's good to be back from El Salvador. I can't wait to, good to see you. share with the church um, all the things that has, the Lord has done. And what we are talking about, actually, kind of funny, huh? goes right along with that. <laughs> it just bothered me that uh, what we're going to be reading goes hands in hand, not just with mission, but with basically everything we do in the church and through the church. So um, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read the verses okay. that we will be looking at today. It says... Uh, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Mm. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as a church, you know, we've, we've done mission trips in the past. We just finished doing a mission trip. And what God sees is not the mission trip, but the heart, mm -hmm. the heart of the missionaries. Um, so, John, what are some of the things that stand out to you from these passages that we're going to be wrestling with? Well, you know, I guess first of all, for me, uh, this hits a this hits a, a nerve with me, a pet peeve that I have sometimes, and and I have to be careful with this because I think we're all guilty of this sometimes. But um, you know, oftentimes you'll hear, especially around Christmas time. You'll hear people say, you know, they just got done feeding the homeless and they'll and they'll come back and they'll they'll tell you about it. But what they tell you is this is what I often hear. Um, one really sticks out to me that, uh, you know, I was just I was so blessed to be able to feed the homeless. And oftentimes I always sit there and think, well, it sure sure is lucky for you that there's all these homeless people around that you can feel good about yourself, you know. This is um, something that we do have to be careful with as, as human beings because, you know, charity is something that we should do, right? It's not that Christ is saying, don't do it, but he is asking us, you know, what is the motive actually? And and sometimes our I think our motives get messed up. We do tend to do things because it isn't something that we are naturally doing, you know. Uh, charity isn't something that we naturally do. So when we do indeed do it, uh, it is almost this next thing is that we we want to almost kind of brag about it, which is which is what Christ is talking about. You know, all through this sermon on the mount so far, he he talks about this issue that we have. And you know, I you said those and immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, remember the, the lyrics of a hymn mm. that kind of confronts 
and I'm not saying you know you shouldn't go feed the homeless, and I'm sure that that's not the point here. Right. But uh, like you said, you know, it's a good thing that we have so many homeless people in the Detroit area, so that when we're not feeling too good of ourselves as Christians, well, here mm -hmm. you go, we go under a bridge and we come out feeling good about ourselves. Right. The, maybe the issue is not about feeling good, but adopting a different attitude. The, the hymn is entire. It's uh, five seventy five in the uh, Adventist hymnal. And the title of it says, Let Your Heart Be Broken. And the very first stanza says, Let your heart be broken for a world in need. Mm. Feed the mouths that hunger, soothe the wounds that bleed. Give the cup of water and the loaf of bread. And it finishes, Be the hands of Jesus serving in his place. So rather than maybe, and I'm, this is for my, myself, I just came back from El Salvador. And I, remember, I, I do know that within me, I, I, I could tell people, um, and you'll hear this from Mission Trips, we thought we went there to give, but actually what we received is more mm -hmm. than what we gave them. <clears throat> there, there is some, some guidelines, that internal guidelines that I think we need to guard ourselves with. And that is that I don't come home feeling necessarily good about myself, but rather broken as I become aware of what sin has done to the human race, right. mm -hmm. what sin has done to humanity. And through that awareness, I begin to realize, you know, I'm not satisfied with just feeding the, hum the, hum the homeless during Thanksgiving or Christmas. I'm being compelled to do more now. Mm -hmm. My heart's broken. And though, yes, I thank God for the experience. I thank God for the experience in this sense. It has given me a reference point. Whereas before, I could complain that, you know, we don't have Cocoa Puffs this morning, therefore I can only eat cornflakes. Now I'm, gratis, I'm grateful for the fact that I have a pantry with sufficient right. food for two weeks. I've just met individuals that eat from day to day, they've experienced hunger. And I, I, it's not that I'm just grateful, but now I am compelled to say, well, what will I do with this awareness? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was just think, you know, as you're talking about that, I think that's, again, what Christ is pointing out. You know, as, as human beings, we tend to look for those big things. Hey, I went and did this today. I went, you know, um, I did this big mission trip. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying you shouldn't do those things. But what I, what I mean by that is we look at these big things and we go, see, now I've done it, right? Yeah. Whereas, like you were just talking about when you're at home, you know, charitable deeds, that's what, that, by the way, that's what the New King James says in the, in the first verse. It says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. How did yours put it? Practicing your righteousness. Practicing your righteousness. So we don't need these, we don't need these big things, these big milestone uh, missionary things to practice our righteousness. Mm -hmm. You know, when our... When our wives are feeling a little sick and we tend to have sympathy, <laughs> oh, 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 right? Brother. I mean, there's the, oh. you're practicing righteousness there as well. When you do the laundry and make soup for them. And right, exactly. I mean, we don't have to do these big things. I'm not saying don't do them, but I'm saying we don't have to. Um, so, so like what you're pointing out, instead of pouting because there's no Cocoa Puffs, right? I mean, you're practicing your righteousness. So in one, in one aspect of this... Um, you know, there's this guilt thing that goes with not doing those big milestone things. There's a guilt aspect, which then we tend to do those things out of guilt because we feel, well, Christ says I should, so I better, right? On the flip side of that coin, you have the opposite of that, where sometimes humans, we get into this trap of, 
okay, God, see what I just did? See, I just yeah. did this thing. You, you owe me, right? <laughs> we kind of do it that way. Where Christ is, you know, again, as he's, as he's talking about our pride, he's pointing out what is, you know, again, the motive, right? We always go yeah. back to that. What is indeed that motive? Yeah. What I was excited when I was in El Salvador, though my internet was horrible, I could still get emails. And I did get the notification from YouTube channel, from our church's YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And I knew that Pastor Bernard was going to be actually preaching and taking the kids out to Detroit to actually do something for the homeless. Right. And, you know, you can only get something out of those events. You get what you want. Exactly. Right. Um, you choose what you take out of it. And Jesus, is, I think, is saying that you can get rewarded by man or you can get rewarded by me. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want? And we, we can talk about the reward in a little bit later, but... Uh, right now, you know, Pastor Bernard said, we're going to go do something for the homeless. Uh, the other part of the church, with many others, we were out helping uh, the poor in El Salvador. In, in the end, um, what what these provide, when you said that, right, we don't have to go to these big things. And maybe the reality is we shouldn't have to. But here in America, John, I think that there is a tremendous opportunity or a great potential that if I choose to participate in going to feed the homeless, if I choose to um, participate in a big mission trip, it will give me a reference point, not simply of my cupboard and my pantry versus their pantry, mm-hmm. but my heart with the heart of Jesus. Amen. I think that is the big takeaway that we can co- co- come away from either feeding, feeding the homeless in Detroit or helping the poor in El Salvador in that what, how does my heart compare to that of Jesus at this moment? I interviewed several people while I was down there, and I'm preparing their, their testimonies to go on in the, in the other podcast that I do. And there was a common thread with the younger crowd. Many of them were pretty transparent, saying, I came here to have my spiritual life get better. Um, that's what they wanted to take away from this. Mm-hmm. Not, not brownie points, not bragging rights, but I was like, excited that they were being honest enough with themselves to say because of the abundance because of the abundant resources both material and spiritual uh, many of them were speaking from the burying springs community and that community is saturated with christianity with adventism they felt very lethargic very flaccid mm-hmm. you know um, i don't know if you've ever broken a bone or anything like that but um, i haven't but I've seen my friends that played soccer, bust a leg or something, and then two or three months later, the cast comes off, and their leg looks like a chicken leg. Mm-hmm. You know, big thigh, <laughs> very thin calves. Right. The muscles atrophied, and that's how they felt. Their prayer <laughs> life, their, their time and devotions. But 10 days in El Salvador was like going to a physical therapist's home and living with a PT and an OT and Emma. Right? <laughs> <And> Jamie, <laughs> no mercy. Right. Um, and I say that because they're being very lovingly diligent with you, John, in making sure you don't cut corners <laughs> with your recovery yes, process, especially yes. Emma. She's, and, she's a good I was dog. very worried about Dad and making sure he wears his sling. That's right. And, uh, even if it means a loving rebuke every once in a while. Yes. Um, but these kids went down there, and I interviewed them at the end of the week so that they would have a reference point. Mm-hmm. And without exception, John, they got what they they took away what they came to take away, and they wanted to take away a transformed heart. Mm-hmm. They wanted to take away sensitivity to the Lord's voice, a revival of their spiritual life. 
And so I praise God because they may not have known this, but they were responding to the Laodicean message. You are, you are poor, blind, naked. You do not know. You think you're rich, but you're not. And so I was praising God that these young kids, teenagers, college students, um, went there not to say, I came here to see how much good I can do for right. these poor, wretched, miserable people. But they were saying, I came here poor, blind, wretched, mm -hmm. broken. And I've seen Jesus put me back together through service. Right. And now the hope is that that continues, right? Yes. Because, you know, it it, it does make, when I was reading this, uh, when I was preparing for this, I was thinking of, you know, those old... Uh, uh, talk shows, I guess, are I guess are still around. But the 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 host would go and he's going to spend the night with the homeless people, and so he knows how they feel. Well, the problem with that is Gerardo Rivera. You, you still don't know, right? Exactly. Uh, I, I was thinking of Jerry Springer, but same thing. Uh, they the problem with that is you. Yes, you spent the night. But you knew the next day you were yeah, gonna go home. You right. know, you you. So you don't. So they would say, "I know how they feel," but no, you don't know how they feel because you had the promise that uh, you were gonna be in a warm bed the next day. Ultimately, what you did is went camping. You know, <laughs> you just went camping for the night. So hopefully that those people, you know, that, that it continues because again, if that continues into their home and if that continues in their everyday life, then yes, that's, that's what Christ is looking for. Right. right. But, um, so yeah, it just makes, again, uh, we, again, human beings have that problem of now I've done the big thing. Now I can move on. Right. It's that whole checklist. idea. Yeah. The, the checklist or the on off switch for God. Um, Christ is looking for us to say, this is just who we are. It does make me think of when, you know, the separation of the sheep and the, and the goats and, and the sheep say, you know, uh, you know, when did we clothe you? When did we see you naked and clothed you? When did we feed you? It was just something that they did. You know, the goats did those same things. They did it, but they, they did it with the hopes that somebody was watching. Yeah. And that was the difference between the They're sheep and the goats. Being intentional and getting attention. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. For me, it, you, you said that, and I was interviewing these people, mm -hmm. and I was kind of winging it. But at the end, I realized, especially when I began to ask questions to the younger crowd, the Holy Spirit put that question, which was um, a difficult question to ask, to answer. I asked them, um, you know, have you grown spiritually? Yeah. Have you, how's, how's your, how has this impacted your prayer life? Oh, great. And your devotional life, you know, it's really... But the question was... How are you going to sustain this? Because mm -hmm. right now someone's feeding you. You know you're in your roommate. This is not this is not real life. Mm -hmm. You know we don't live like this. Like we will be here for ten days. You'll go back to the same neighborhood, the same bedroom, the same school, the same job. Have you thought how you can encapsulate this experience? Because you can evaporate before we land in Chicago. Sure. And it was silence. With many of them, it was silence. One of the young ladies said. You know, it's a good question. And she said, I guess one of the ways that I can sustain this is by talking about it with my friends. Because if I talk about it, it, I will remind myself about it. And then I can continue practicing it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty, pretty um, practical, very assertive, uh, very insightful. Because there is value. I mean, right now, right, the, the heart motive. Uh, I will be telling people about this mission trip, but 
with my heart being connected with the Lord, how I will say things will not be things like, well, I, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I was doing this and that, but rather God did this through this experience for me. And it was such a joy to see this. And when we did this and when we did that, you know, it, I just realized this, John, that Jesus is preparing us to know how to pray. Right. Because in just a little bit. That's the, the next, the, the he's transitioning prayer. into it, yeah. These people are thinking in the singular. I, I give, I do, uh, I sacrifice. But in the Lord's prayer, it's our Father, give us this day. Is we, mm -hmm. forgive us and help give us our daily bread. These individuals are seeing only what they do. They can't think corporately. Right. They can't think uh, in a sense of, you know, you, you mentioned about Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. It says, um, being surrounded by, su by such a great cloud of witnesses, it, it speaks of an individual that thinks collectively. Right. I don't want to bring attention to myself. I want to lift up Christ through the collective efforts of brothers and sisters, me working alongside with others. And so when we give a testimony, it's all about what we have done, what the Lord has accomplished through our efforts. And I mean, for me, I, I can I can tell you with honesty, I'm eager to tell the church, I'm eager to share with people what God has done. But I'm realizing that when I've done it so far, the language has been us, we. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I sense that I, I feel uncomfortable saying that I have done anything because I recognize that I couldn't have done anything by myself. Right. There's just no way that one person can accomplish or make a dent with the needs of the world. Um, so the, the heart is at, at the, the big issue. And Jesus here is, again, already beginning to shift us from the singular focus on I, which is Isaiah chapter 14. I will ascend. I will exalt mm. myself. I mm. will set up my throne. That's the language of Lucifer. Right. Look at what I am doing. <clears throat> and Jesus is already preparing us to, to speak the language of heaven, the, the language of the Godhead. Because in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 25, I think it is, or 26, God speaks of, let us make man in our image. So God never said I. Satan says I. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying here, be careful. He doesn't say don't do it. Right. It says, be careful, search your heart. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing because it could easily transition from you doing good things for the wrong motives and you've lost out on the reward. And this is exactly, I, in, in my opinion, this is exactly what we're dealing with in today's society where we, we all have this fluffy idea of what is good. Everybody has this, this idea and they really love their idea of how good they are, how good they are, or how good I am, like what you're saying. You know, it, it always, and by the way, people pick up on this stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it always amazes me how when a politician or a, or a movie star or whatever, they, they do something charitable, it's really convenient that there's always a camera there making sure that people see it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, again, it becomes very tacky and, and in the Christian realm, it becomes, you know, we're, we're under that magnifying glass, right? And it becomes a false image of God. It really, you know, it, there, it does more damage than we think. It's not just what it does to us, but it also what it does to others. Like you were just talking about how we are connected 
to everybody. And when people see that we're doing these things almost as brownie point things, it does give a false image of God. And it also becomes that thing of when you share with people who aren't in the church, um, you know, Christ, a lot of times what you hear is, hey, I'm good enough, right? Well, it gives it gives fuel to that fire. They do chari- I do charitable deeds too. I do good things. But again, I feed my cat. Right, I feed my cat. Or hey, you know what? People do charitable things. People give to charities. People do these things too that aren't in churches. They, you know, people do these things. But what is the motive once again? You know, you, you sparked an image, a visual in my mind when you said about politicians, people in power, people that are admired by others. How convenient that there are cameras there, or they themselves now that with Facebook Live and YouTube Live, they can just point their phones. Right. Um, in your mind, John, I'm just going to pick your brain. Sure. If you look at human history, who would you say is the greatest, most sacrificial missionary ever? I guess we'd have to go with either, you know, Mother Teresa, right? Or Gandhi. Or, okay. You know. Go further back. Go to the Bible. I mean, Oh, in the scriptures? Yeah. Okay, so who is the most charitable? I mean, obviously, we have to say Christ, right? That's right. Period. Mm-hmm. There's just no one that tops it. And the Bible says that for God so loved, God's God the Father so loved the world that he gave. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest missionary right there. The biggest gift is Jesus. Yet the night that gift was giving, how many cameras, mm. how many people were there to receive this the greatest gift humanity ever received by the greatest giver, and there was not a camera Everyone inside. Left them. There was no one to see it. Mm-hmm. God had to kind of get the attention of some shepherds that were actually thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And some wise men from Babylon who were studying the scriptures uh, with sincere hearts, they were revealed, they were given the star, but God's people, no one was there. And yet God didn't say, hey, no one is seeing me do this. Jesus, come back up here. Right, exactly. He, he did not withhold. And for me, that that just became rich when you said that about mission, uh, politicians and, and people with, with sordid motives, people with crooked motives. That I think is the biggest litmus test you don't do it when the cameras are on or only when the cameras are on. You will do it even if people that you do it for don't appreciate it, don't value it, and no one knows about it. The reality is that outside of the shepherds and outside of the wise men, no one knew Jesus was given the greatest gift we've ever received, yet no one knew, right. and God still gave. Amen. And so, you know, as we as we look at this, if we do the, the backup thing, if we will, um, in Matthew chapter five, as as you know, Christ is talking about this uh, these issues we have. You know, he starts it off. We started this podcast off with uh, the the words of you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. The, uh, you know, he went down this list, and you can just picture the people that are there. There, that's me. You know, I've mourned. Uh, you know, I, I I'm poor in spirit. And, you know, you can see the people saying these things, just like we do. We we say these things. But as, as he goes through this, now that we're at the, he's again, he's transitioning, like you said earlier, he's transitioning into prayer. He, he, the thought is, he's, he's transitioning into the thought. He's even saying, you know, even all your good works are, are uh, they can be tainted, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have, we have this problem of pride. The Jewish people that, that were there, and the, all the people that were there, they had this, we all have this problem that this is the great controversy. You either worship God, you follow God, or you say, but 
maybe I can say what is good and what is bad, right? I can d- decide what is good and what is evil. And so this is the problem that there, that we all have. And he's really getting into it, even if you think you're good. And by the way, those people there, I'm sure they all thought they were good people. Who who wakes? There's very um, there's a very minute people that that wake up and go, I'm bad, right? <laughs> I'm an evil guy. No, most people say I'm I'm pretty decent. Even those people that would wake up and say that, it's kind of silly. They don't really feel that way. Uh, so Christ is really getting to that, and and it is true that if we're just fulfilling self. You know, it does get in the way that you, we do start to. Jesus is awesome because he begins with that. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I'm poor. I'm, but then he's, he says, You don't know how poor you are. Right. Let me right. tell you how poor you are. Um, you have heard you shouldn't murder. Right. But if you're, getting, if you're angry right now, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery. But if you're lusting, guess what? Right. Um, and so he he doesn't want us to just feel bad about. The superficial things about ourselves and that's not even about feeling bad is recognizing is a real problem that's exactly where thank you that's exactly where my you know oftentimes we have this picture of jesus once again being this this weak and feeble and morose yeah that oh, you're happy let me make you miserable today well no it's almost almost the opposite you know um where i'll accept whatever because Oh, because, I see what you're you know, yeah. he says, you know, come to me, right? He says that. So sometimes we take that, and then we have these pictures of Jesus being this the weak, skinny, malnourished, and and again, you accompany that with, um, hey, I'll accept whatever. We, we we almost, and I'm saying Christianity almost paints this picture of Christ being a doormat, you know, of hey, just come on in, it's okay. What he's pointing out here is, I'm not here to accept the minimum it's impossible without christ without me it is impossible to to inherit the kingdom of god right it is completely impossible on your own yeah that's powerful he is actually really how easy is it to tell people who really consider themselves good that maybe you're not so good it's not easy and it actually you know we we hear it all the time Somebody's your friend and and they really don't want to upset you. So they might see you doing something wrong, but they don't want to upset you. So they're like, you know, you, you're you okay. It's okay. It's not your fault. Hey, you just followed your heart. It's okay, right? Those types of things. Christ is super strong in which he says, look, you, you have a wrong idea of what is good. That's not easy to tell somebody. That takes incredible courage to say that to somebody. Christ is a, so he's not this weak doormat that we can just walk, hey, I sinned, God, you need to forgive me again. He is saying, no, this, you know, there is power in uh, my grace. Transformative. It's, it's Exactly. It's transformative. It's not just, again, like we've talked about a lot of times, it's not just a life preserver. It can be, but it's a power source. You want to be my disciple? It's not enough that you haven't pulled the trigger is you cannot get angry. Right. So now like, whoa, hold up a second. I cannot be your disciple unless I can manage my anger. Because the Bible doesn't say actually that you shouldn't get angry. The Bible says, uh, be angry, but don't sin. Right. That little catchphrase, that last part is what gets us in trouble. Like you said, drive, drive 94, 96, around 5 p.m. and try to test your Christianity. <clears throat> Jesus says, this is the standard. And we would say, Jesus, but the standard is impossible. Mm-hmm. And Jesus would say, the things that are impossible with men are possible with me. I failed right before this podcast. 
I got a phone call from my physical therapist. I'm supposed to start today. And they called to tell me that they had to postpone. For some reason, my, my physical therapist has to leave early today. And I got angry because I want to get going, right? I don't want to wait three more days. I want to start today. Now, I have no idea why that person has to cancel, right? Mm. It, it could be something horrific. But not that I wanted to murder them, but I was very angry at that. How dare they inconvenience me? Right. So, uh, you know, we we have this problem. when That bruised my pride because I want to get going. That bruised my pride. So um, that's the point of this. This is what Christ is talking about. We have to get in this spot where... Our pride doesn't get bruised, maybe as easily at first, but because <laughs> I can't imagine it not getting bruised. And, and you know that Jesus is like going deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. He's going like, yes, right. You need me to manage and you need my power to manage something as powerful as anger. Mm-hmm. The book of James says that anger and an angry tongue is like a little fire, you know, it lights up, makes huge fire. Um, but by the time we get to chapter six, Jesus is saying, you can't even be a missionary without me in your heart right you will go and do mission work but when you come back you will come back just as empty or emptier than when you went if you go for the wrong reasons you'll come back in a worse condition because your pride your spiritual pride will have been strengthened and you will be even more blind to it more insensitive because you feel like i've done something good i've done something good and as you were saying that i realized for me i like practical spiritual things and for me it just now uh, a red flag if in my thoughts i begin the sentence with i mm-hmm. this this is such an inconvenience for me why is this happening to me that for me now is going to become a red flag of hold, hold up a second time out what's in my heart lord search my heart actually we've been talking a whole bunch about you know motives mm-hmm. and you mentioned a verse some time ago that said, you know, it's Jeremiah 79, I believe it is, where it says that the heart is exceedingly wicked, right. deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We can't even know our motives. Right. That's the utter helplessness that sin has left us with. Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, um, when I was starting to come back to the Lord, uh, one of the convictions that I got that I hope our listeners will take to heart is that you need to read the Bible. There's just no shortcuts about it. Amen. Um, I began to read through the Bible, and these two verses became, and still are, an anchor anchor point of my spiritual journey. Psalms 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Hmm. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see, Lord, you see if there be any wicked way or hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. You know, Jesus is saying, you have to do this with the right motives. And we can't say, okay. Right. <laughs> well, let it's me just like, flip the, tr- the switch, right? All right. Now I'm doing it with the right. No, how do you know? Right. Unless I spend time in prayer. It's not simply, Lord, show me. But that psalm says, Lord, lead me. Mm-hmm. Search my heart. And when you show me the things that are still in me, that taint the good that I could do to honor your name. Father, change that course. By the power of your grace, redirect my hearts that what you see is legit. Not what other human beings who are limited and narrow in perceptions. You see my heart, 
What I want you to see is a heart that is doing this because my heart now breaks for the need of humanity in the same way that your heart broke in Genesis chapter 3 when you saw this, the misery that sin would bring to our human race and it compelled you to give. I want a heart like that too. Right. I mean, I think some of our most sincere prayers are when we we come to that point where I don't have the answer, right? You know, mm. sometimes we pray and we already, um, look, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do that. But there are some times where you get on your knees and you're like, I, I just, I can't. Yeah. I don't know anymore, right? And that's, I think, where, where God can get in there and do exactly what you were just talking it's about. In, it's interesting. Your chapter 5, verse 3 begins with, blessed are the poor. Mm -hmm. But it takes Jesus this long to get to, and now let me show you how to pray. Right. You know, there's this tremendous chopping down of human pride, chopping down of these wrong ideas of what true, genuine Christianity is about. And Jesus says, now that I've hopefully allowed you to see, if you have ears to hear, you have seen, number one, the impossibility of what sin has made you to be, but yet the power and the beauty of what I can make you to be if you yield in humility. Mm -hmm. And the most intimate thing we can do with God, prayer, it has taken Jesus a chapter and a half before he even talks about it. But it's so hard to get to that point, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, he, and what's amazing with Christ and the thing that we have to uh, emulate is even though he does this and he, he does it with no apology, it's still tender at the same oh, time. Yeah. Inviting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's an invitation here, you know, beware, um, let. There, there's a, uh, it's not that I'm trying to put in an obstacle. I want you to go through this right. experience, but I don't want you to go through this experience blindly or misguided. Right. This is how you will know you are on the right path when you are not having checklists anymore, which, I mean, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that this morning during my devotions, um, John. When you have someone that's teaching physics, they've mastered that, right? Mm -hmm. When you have someone that is teaching <laughs> math or English, they've mastered that. Mm -hmm. But though you and I are talking about this stuff, we haven't mastered this, uh. you know? The, the New American where it says, beware of practicing, I'm practicing. And there are days that, man, you know, I, I hit one three-pointer and I'm like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But 99% are rims and air balls and it, righteousness, mm -hmm. right? That, that ability to say, to live with the conviction and practice and apply the conviction that Jesus is divine, I am the branches. He who abides in him and him inside of that person, they bear much fruit for apart from him, I can do nothing. As easy and as ingrained as that is in my memory, when it comes to the practicing of it, <laughs> I'm still practicing. Right. We haven't mastered this. And I guess our, you need to know that, listener, that that we are waxing eloquently. <laughs> oh man, um, we are. I'm preaching to myself. Amen. I'm, I'm teaching myself. You, um, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, you do this all the time, but I, I took the pulpit this past weekend, and just uh, to you know pull the curtain back a little bit, it takes me two days later because I feel so bad afterward because how you know the devil gets in your ear and how dare you take the pulpit how dare you say these things that you just said you know um so you're absolutely right about that it's it is this you're 
I guess I came to the same conclusion, just it's a little harsher in my head that, that uh, yeah, you are practicing these same things. And I always try to remember to say that, look, I'm not preaching at you. This is what God has told me. I'm just, you know, that I, I'm just sharing what I'm being told as well, you know. Um, let let me ahead. ask you, Sean, sure. let's pretend we're in the, the NBA. That's the major baseball. So okay. So I think that's the, is that how you said the major in, baseball? The professional baseball. MLB. Race. MLB? I don't know. NBA, Major League Baseball. MLB, yeah. I'm still practicing. Right. <laughs> America's worst. Um, let's pretend that you and I are, you know, getting, getting paid millions of dollars, etc. Let me ask you, John, how, how good of a baseball player would you be if you only went up to bat knowing that you were going to hit a home run? All right. You wouldn't be very good at all, right? And what, how, what kind of a good basketball player would I be if... When I play, I only want to hit, hit three-pointers. Mm-hmm. And you, you know where I'm going with this, right? Right. Um, people in the world that are very successful, successful making millions of dollars, have no problem with air balls and missing slam dunks or striking out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the Christian life, sometimes I take the attitude of, unless I do it perfect the first time, I'm just not going to do it. Um, you talked about pulling the curtain. I'm going to share about this this coming Sabbath. Uh, Kiran's going to interview me a little bit tomorrow. Um, but you know, I, I got one of the biggest sermons, this mission trip from a block, from a cement block. Hmm. Uh, earlier in the week, we were already making plans for a church that Steve Haddix um, lovingly decided to sponsor. Sacrificially, he gave um, the $10,000 to sponsor this church, which blew me away when he decided to do this. Hmm. Um, so as we were talking, I, I was kidding, kind of kidding. I wasn't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to fish and I said, you know, Steve, you should preach for this. I could translate for you. Uh-huh. Um, I feel, I mean, I'm a teaching mentoring pastor and I, I want to push him out of his comfort zone. I don't want anyone that I'm discipling to feel settled. I'm always trying to figure out how can I push them a little bit more here or there. So I, I, I know Steve is not very comfortable in front of people. He's told me repeatedly, I don't like being the center of attention, which if you're in the pulpit, <laughs> you know, everything that he doesn't like, it's there. All right. So he said no. And I was like, all right. And I just laughed. I was like, I was kidding. I was just kidding. Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't. I was right. hoping that he would say yes. <laughs> uh, I'm confessing now. Steve he listens to this. He'll know <laughs> my real motives behind that laughter. Um, so then some other friends get around. And again, I throw the hook. And again, he says, no, man, mm-hmm. you're good at the pulpit. You're preaching. I want you to preach at the dedication of this church. So then um, a group of other pastors come around and some other leaders. And by the third time I throw the pitch, Steve's still smiling, but he's thinking. Mm. And he says, on a, and one of the leaders there, Aurora Hofnagel, um, godly woman, she says, Steve, if you're going to give your testimony I'm going to move my schedule around because I want to come hear you. And then all these other people are like, yeah, I want to hear your testimony too. Steve, if you're going to do it, let me know because I'll move things around because there were people working in the kitchen. And all of these people that got to know Steve around the week, they're like, I want to hear your story. <clears throat> so when they said that, Steve's like, all right, I'll do it. But pastor, you're translating for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord, Father, glory to your name. This is mind-blowing to me that this young man who got baptized last year, through his sacrificial giving, a church being built, and the first sermon preached there is going to be his. Amen. I was like blown away by the providence and the grace of God. 
And so the next day, I'm in the work site, and Pastor Ron Kelly says, you've been working twisting rebar together for long enough. Ariel, come on, learn to lay block. And that was totally out of my comfort zone. <laughs> so Pastor Kelly, I, I'm, I, I got the twisting rebar part. You guys are working so fast, and you guys are almost done. <laughs> Let me not delay the process. Let me be sacrificial here. I'll, I'll, I'll humbly step <laughs> yeah. out. And Pastor Kelly was like, no, Ariel, I think you need to learn. Mm. Here, grab a, cinder, grab a cinder block, and he began to show me how much difficulty. I thought it was challenging when I saw Steve and other people sh 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 slapping it. It was like they were decorating a cake, and they were pros at it. <laughs> And he's like, no, you hold the trial this way. No, you're, you're holding it wrong. Okay, do it like this. And brother, you know, pride. You're used to being good at stuff. Mm -hmm. But when someone gives you something you're not good at at all, you want to quit. You're like, nah, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. So he had me do that. He's like, practice that a little bit. And he walked away doing other things. And I'm practicing, John. And I'm telling you, I was like, when Pastor Kelly comes, I'm going to be like, Pastor Kelly, listen. This wall's gonna come down when I put this one brick on it. I'm gonna mess the whole thing up. It's gonna be like Jericho minus the righteous reasons for it. Uh, I don't wanna be the cause of that. So thank you for the practice. I'm gonna go back to making more rebarb. I came back and instead of praising me, he's like, You're you're putting too much and you have to do this and do do this. Brother, it's the most it's like physics to me. Hmm. I, it was like so many things you have to pay attention to that you don't think or even notice that people are doing. I'm like Man, this is horrible. And so after like 30 minutes of wrestling with this block, he says, all right, go up there. I'm going to start laying block. Bro, I was like, I'm laying one. <laughs> and so I put it down. And Pastor Kelly walks up behind me and he says, that's pretty good, Ariel, but you have it upside down. So you have to take it out. <laughs> like there's sides to these things. They look the same. <laughs> so then I flip it over and of course the, the, the mud, I learned that now is lingo for the, the um, cement, mm -hmm. has all been sucked up. It's dry because it's super dry there. So I have to scrape off all the cement that I uh, lay with a lot of labor put on and I have to lay the roll up again with cement and I put it on. It's like, all right, it's upside down, but you got to flip it now. The, the front part is at the backside actually. So I have to pull it out again. And John, I'm telling you that I wanted to quit. But the Holy Spirit was like, so you're so comfortable pushing other people out of their comfort mm. zones. Oh, my. But there's Steve Lane Block, and he's good at it, but he's not good at the pulpit. But he'll be sweating bullets, but he said yes. Mm -hmm. Lay Block. So by the grace of God, I laid four. All right. And it was lunchtime. <laughs> it took me 40 minutes. And Pastor Kelly was very patient with each one of those. But I got the conviction of, I'm going to lay Block, even if that's the, the last thing I do. And if I lay four or two or whatever many, I'm just going to praise the Lord for what I did. Practicing and being humble and saying, I may not be able to lay 10 blocks in 30 minutes like Steve or some of the other people, but I am willing. Amen. My heart is willing. And my heart is willing, though the process is provoking me to kill my pride and exalt Jesus so that I can do this with humbleness, mm. with a willing, humble heart. So that's, that was one of the big takeaways, John, that a mission trip humbled me. It polished me further because it pushed me out of my comfort zone. And from chapter 5 all the way up to the prayer, Jesus is pushing us out of the comfort zone of sin into the realm of righteousness. Righteousness, we don't want to say this in a way that it makes people think like, well, I don't want none of that. But this is a reality. 
righteousness to a prideful heart is so uncomfortable. It is. It's completely out of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. We're not skilled at it at all. We're going to have to practice, which means that you may not seem you're making progress, but you're not making progress. You're letting the Lord transform you. And he's the one making the progress inside your heart. Amen. And it, even when it's not the big thing, yeah, oh, because yeah. it goes from the big thing to the little things, right? Um, so, I mean, John, let's let's just zoom in on that. Yeah. Big, right? Big. What's huge? Parting the sea. Jesus, God's like, that's a piece of cake. Actually, I made water. Mm -hmm. um, feeding manna. You know, that's not a big thing. The biggest thing, this is a book, this Arav says that the most, the biggest miracle God can manifest is the transformation of a sinful, prideful heart to that of humble service, humble humility. I think that you and I need to recalibrate our definition of big. The biggest experience you can have as a Christian is that today you will serve it with a humble heart. That is the biggest transformation you can ever experience. And Jesus wants to have you to have that today.